millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. It's taken a little while for this to dawn on me, but right now you have to say Keith Earls is the most entertaining man in Irish sport. He's 2018's Conor McGregor, essentially. Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, Murph. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? Hello there, Owen. I'm doing pretty well. Thanks, guys. What's Keith Earls been up to that's caught your attention? Well, first of all, his role in The Drop last week. He caught that cross kick, which essentially ignited the move. The difficulty of that catch, I feel, was somewhat overstated in the hysteria that followed. It was fairly straightforward for a winger to catch a ball at chest height, but his ability to then make seven or eight yards to really get things moving and to have the presence of mind to do that was extremely impressive. As for his trick this time around against Italy, well, there were a couple of them. Well, I saw him do a good tackle where he ran back diagonally across a vast, expansive pitch. Yeah, it was the brutal chase down of Italian wing Mattia Bellini you're talking about, Ken, to prevent mm-hmm. Italy scoring a bonus point try in the last minute. So he's got the pace. But what about the flair? Well, did you see his catch this week? From Johnny Six. Yes, First that half, was good. Yeah. Incredible leap just to catch the ball, manage to grab it at its apex, come down with it, hold off a couple of Italian defenders, dummy a little pass, then pop the ball off to a teammate. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. Yeah, so he's good at his sport. That's where the McGregor comparison ends, Murph. Well, no, media persona too. Of course. Wait, wait though, what? <laughs> yeah, media persona. Yeah, he's okay, really go on. Up now. He does good interviews, gives good quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keith Earls. So what did he say? He was asked to compare Jordan Larmer with his... Jordan Larmer now with 20-year-old Keith Earls. Okay. And he says, I envy all of those young lads. They're incredible. I suppose when I came in, first of all, it was about playing for Munster and the fear with Paulie and Raj and all them. I suppose you drive yourself mad. Sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> uh, well, it could have been worse. He could have been uh, coming through at Leicester where he was getting all of that plus punches. He had punches, to just keep punching people. Plus punches in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm a lot lighter. I was a lot chubbier back then. I didn't really look after myself back then. I'm faster and more agile now than I was then. I had bad habits from my parents eating Chinese on a Sunday night. It was changing at the time back then with diets. I got obsessed with trying to be heavy. Then I got obsessed with trying to be skinny. I've just found myself now, thank God. I love the way people, no matter how far 
how far we advance sports science. Mm. Players always surprise me when they hark back to a time not that long ago mm. when they say, oh yeah, I was just eating Chinese with my... <laughs> so wasn't that like most people weren't eating, most professional rugby players weren't eating uh, yeah. stodgy food. I don't on know why you're throwing Sunday Mr. Night. and Mrs. Earls under the bus like that, to be honest. I mean, they're perfectly within the rights exactly, to eat Chinese. Exactly, Keith. It's you that should not have been following yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, like, blaming your mother and father <laughs> yeah, for eating yeah. a Chinese when you're a couldn't. 20-year-old I mean, professional <laughs> yeah. rugby player. Come on. I'd have liked to have seen him on Christmas Day back then with the game coming up on Stevens' Day. But yeah. I like him. That's my point. Yeah. McGregor, maybe a Well, he just went far. down in my estimation when he had a pop at his own parents <laughs> there, quite frankly. So, you could be pro-Keith Earls yeah. all you like. That's a disgrace what you've just read to me. Earls ex-Munster and Ireland teammate Dunica Ryan was on the World Service last Friday. Munster hero turned Munster killer, we should say, mm. in the Champions Cup in recent weeks. He's now playing great stuff with Racing 92 in Paris. He joined us in studio for a fascinating chat. And yes, don't worry, everyone. I asked him the hard questions. I think undoubtedly you have got the scariest game face in Irish rugby. I'm talking right from the moment you get off the bus, not just on the field. So is that natural or is it a work on, as they say in rugby terms? Um, um, There's nothing I I can do about my face. There is nothing I can do about my face. That's words that we've all said at one stage or another, I think. And the reason this interview got such a reaction from our World Service members is because Donica turns out is quite different to the scary man that I tried to pigeonhole there into a, into a certain way of thinking about top rugby players. He's very different to the man on the pitch. Our chat went in directions we never quite expected, such as, you know, geology. The top half of, of Ireland was connected to uh, to Scotland, and the bottom half of Ireland was connected to the Americas. So there was this supercontinent years ago called the continent, supercontinent of Pangaea, and then there's massive Caledonian orogeny, mountain change. And all over the years, what happened was the um, uh, top half of Ireland broke off the Scotland, and the bottom half fused together, and there was this ocean called the Iap- Iapetus Ocean. So there's this Iapetus suture between uh, the top half of Ireland and the bottom half of Ireland. So what you notice is like around termines the whole way across Ireland and the silver mines, there's this line that goes the whole way across and it's called the Iapetus suture and there's a lot, tremendous amount of minerals along this, this line. Yeah, it's just giant Irish second row Dunnock Ryan talking about the Iapetus suture, Ken. Why are you looking so quizzical? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> is is Dunnock Ryan a Geographer. He, I mean, it sounds like it. Well, you see, he, he's gone back. He's thought a lot about life after rugby. Uh-huh. And it seems like he is dipping his toe into various mm. different areas, one of which is geology. He went back, studied it, and delivered that kind of knowledge to our World Service. When you, hear, when you hear sports people saying, oh, listen, I'm just, you know, I'm trying a couple of different things. That usually means one media, two coaching. <laughs> Almost never... Is the three used to be there. running a bar, geology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, geology. Yeah, three used to be running a bar. Yeah, not so much. Not, so, not so much anymore. Yeah. By the way, Murphy, before you start running to me to try and find cans of Lilt and Fanta, different type of minerals. Oh, okay, totally different type of minerals. Okay, <laughs> Donica also gave some pensions <laughs> advice as well. By the way, but that, you can, my you can, friends is an old McDevitt gag right there. You can, you can, uh, you can skip the pensions advice. Okay, yeah. you can skip the pensions advice. Yeah, if you yeah, do. Yeah, Although you know, to be honest, I mean, it's not so much advice. It's just, just think about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just don't just wander through your 30s and not think about it. <laughs> he checked himself uh, yeah. in the middle of the, the, the pensions advice. Yeah. It's not too detailed. To get more in-depth interviews go, uh, going in directions that you didn't expect and sounding a little bit different to the rest, you can become a member of the World Service at secondcaptains.com for €5 Euro a month. We'd love to have you on board with us if you're not there already. And if you are and you missed that Donica Ryan interview, go back to last Friday 
on your feed. It was the last podcast we did before this. Well, aside from the football podcast, you'll find it. it's not too, not too long ago. Let's talk Six Nations. Back to Campbell, back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over. Two games, two wins, but two bad injury blows have taken some of the joy out of today's Six Nations chat. Jerry, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. Shane, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Uh, good to hear. Now, I don't know if I'll ask both of you this question. Are you feeling, Shane, more or less confident about Ireland's ability to win the Six Nations after the weekend's games, but also the, the likely absence now of Tyke Furlong and Robbie Henshaw for a bit? Yeah, I think they're significant, those two uh, injuries. Um, you know, the more I think about it, um, definitely Furlong jumps out straight off the page because the interplay between, that he was uh, providing between forwards and backs, although we haven't seen so much of it um, in this Six Nations because he only played a few minutes uh, at the weekend and the game the week before didn't really allow for it. But I think it was a key attribute that Ireland were working on and I think in, in his position fulfilling that role I think he's the best in the world at it at the moment so he's a big loss but the more I've thought about it over the last um, few hours I'm just wondering if if Henshaw is is the, is the bigger loss maybe um, because although we do have a, a number of potential uh, centres to come in um, I, you know, I'm still can, I didn't think Bundiaki, he did some you know really nice plays and he he does some things excellently, but where Ireland uh, are moving their game to and uh, if they you know to be the best Ireland they can be, I'm not sure if you want a Bundiaki in as that you know twelve role as a as a passer or a, uh, a creator. Certainly he creates off an off offloading game, but not so much uh, with his passing skills. So I think that might be. Um, a little bit more serious, uh, the more serious of the t- two injuries. Um, so, in many ways, you know, the way the tournament has progressed, I think, has been a positive for Ireland. But we we definitely have a little bit of a kink in the road here. Um, but so does everybody else. All the other teams have um, had had worse injury profiles coming into the Six Nations. Um, we were sure to have a few injuries. And um, you know, I said it at the weekend. They're not one and two in the least players I'd like to have injured, but they're probably three and four. Three and four, Jerry. Yeah, well, three and five maybe if you include Sean O'Brien as well. I mean, Ireland had four starters in the Test series: Conor Murray, Johnny Sexton, Tyke Furlong, and Sean O'Brien, because they're the four, arguably, say world-class players. It's a term used very liberally, but I think Furlong has become world-class. Um, Sean O'Brien is, in his Lions form was absolutely outstanding, arguably the player of the tour. And of course, Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton, you saw, we continually see their value to the team. You wouldn't want anything to happen to them. I think um, there's net with, with Gary Ringrose would probably come back into the equation before the tournament's over. If Tyke Furlan doesn't, then realistically, Ireland are going to be looking to John Ryan and Andrew Porter to see them through for the rest of the campaign. So I think. If anything, that might be the slightly bigger blow, but they are two damaging blows for sure. Damaging enough that uh, would you feel less positive about the chances of winning um, than you did before the weekend? Yeah, I still think Ireland will be favourites to beat Wales at home, tough in all of the games it would be, and indeed Scotland at home, but certainly going to England, you you always thought Ireland had to arrive there locked and fully loaded, and that would have included Tyke Furlan. Uh, it's midfield is particularly interesting, Shane. You alluded to it there. Bundiaki is a he's, you, you can't forget he's only had a few caps with the team, and he's suddenly gone from just another centre to being the guy who's going to be relied upon now. I mean, are we going to have to 
um, accept whatever limitations there are in his game. And I know you feel he needs to distribute the ball better and just build the build the game plan around him. Yeah, I do think we need to be a little bit more pragmatic on what we're trying to do if we're picking him at 12. Um, it depends who he's who's going to be his partner at 13, um, whether uh, Farrell is going to come in, uh, which I think everybody would be fairly comfortable about, or Ringrose uh, comes back from injury, which I think would be, you know, would probably be more ideal, uh, given how good a player he is and his experience and and um, the knowledge that you know he can deliver, he has delivered for Ireland, he will deliver again. So. I'm um, thinking about it. You know, Ringrose hasn't been out for that long, and, and uh, I was sort of thinking. I used the analogy yesterday when we were talking about it as well about um, Ben Teo, and he came in from uh, for England in the first um, game of the Six Nations, but he hadn't played for a very long time, and he looked like it. Mm-hmm. And then um, Eddie Jones re- uh, reverted back to uh, Jonathan Joseph this weekend, um, and he looked a little bit fresher. Um, so I think, uh, or, or sort of, sort of more, more at ease. Um, so I, I think it wouldn't be a big jump to get Ringrose in. And if you have a Bundyaki Ringrose midfield, then you know there's quite a lot going on there. And you can move the, those two players between 10 and 12. Uh, you can use uh, Bundyaki coming on that short line from outside to in, as well as being just used uh, using his uh, ability to, to you know beat a man and get an offload. But I think if you're looking for a second 5'8 distributor. Um, I think it, they shouldn't ask him to do that role because he's actually not good enough. His passing game isn't good enough to do it. And um, his passing, particularly left to right, uh, needs a, needs quite a bit of work before you'd be very comfortable uh, with him being in that role. Jerry, what do you think? I thought Aki was actually quite good at the weekend. Yeah, so did I. Um, and one of his strengths that he has that some Irish players don't have is he works off instinct really well. Yes. So if there's a situation that comes at him really quickly, he reacts. He reacts, he reacts to what the defenders are doing, as he did for that Keith uh, breakaway Earls try that he passed to Keith Yeah, Earls, earlier yeah. in the game. Um, like, I think if we work around his strengths, yes. we could actually have quite a different style of game. And like every centre has a flaw. Mm. I mean, even Darcy and O'Driscoll had flaws, even in their passing games. So he's clearly not the complete centre, but I also will be quite positive about his strengths and, and us being able to play around it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I I, I, thought, I liked his performance the weekend a lot, as I did in Paris. I thought in that long drive up the pitch, that 41-phase drive, you wanted him to get the ball as much as possible because he looked like the one Irish player, along with Ian Henderson perhaps, who was going to get Ireland over the game line. Um, at the weekend, if you remember early on in the match, they were going through with a, a play, a called move, and Tommaso Boney, who's a poor defender, um, shot up on the outside, and, and Aki went ahead with the pass, and whether he hadn't seen him come up, whatever, but he went ahead with the pass, and the ball was enveloped by Boney. I think Arn might have got a scrum off it, and then off that well-worked turnover from Dan Levy and Jack McGrath in the middle, and uh, Jack Cohn popped the ball to um, Johnny, and Johnny just you know in that two seconds just straightens the line and gives Boney a bit of space, and he sees Boney push up on the outside. And this time he pulls the ball back in, accelerates into the gap. I think it was outside the hooker, Luca Biji, and into that gap that Boney left. And it was a really good left-to-right pass for Keith Earls. Um, and, of course, he scored his try as well because he is... I, I love the fact that he's so explosive in contact and you need those players in the mix as well. And I think he gives Ireland a real explosiveness in contact across the game line, which very few other players do. Um, he mightn't be the best passer in the world, but he's still part of a midfield that, you know... 
Wieners scored tries in. You know, Wieners have scored tries outside him when they played together um, against South Africa. Himself and uh, Sexton himself and Henshaw, both Wieners scored that day. Wieners were scoring try for fun and fullback try for fun when they were winning the Pro 14. I know that's a big step up to Test Rugby, but I agree with you. I think that explosive carrying in contact, and he's a very good tackler too. He's a very efficient tackler. I think he was Ireland's leading tackle count at the weekend. Shane Hill. Yeah, just on that, I, like, I, I just don't, I don't want to be bagging him as I, uh, it's not the case. Mm. I don't think he's a good player. I think he is a good player. I think, and I think he's got some characteristics uh, of his game that are much better than than many of of uh, his contemporaries. And my point is that I I think we need. You're right, Simon. I think we need to, to, if he's in the team, we need to play to those strengths, and they really are positive strengths. They're hugely positive, and I think they can. You know, the Irish game can be effective. Um, you know, utilising them. I, I do think, though, that it means that we, we, we have to concentrate on those strengths and not try and get him to do things that he's less good at. Because you're right, you know, not every, you know there's no complete player. Or, or there, you know, you know, there's maybe one in a generation, but um, they're, they're few and far between. So, um, you know, it, it reminds me of something that, you know, Joe Smith uh, brought in to Leinster and sort of changed my thinking on on the way you train. So we used to, you know, you spend a lot of time working on um, the things that you were poor at and the things that you, you, you know, the, 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 whether it be a kicking game or you're, you know, passing you know, right to left or, or left to right or catching or whatever, you're, you know, you're, you're not particularly good at. Then he's, you know, we also spend a huge amount of time doing that. But then Joe sort of changed it a little bit in the way I thought about training. And he, he um, really demanded that you spend a huge amount of time practicing the things you're good at to become excellent at them because they're actually the ones that damage the opposition team the most and i think when we are playing with um, with or when we're selecting bundiaki i think we have to be very aware of that and that means it's a different role for the wingers um at the moment you know rook is is the focus for for a lot of what this irish team does um when they're carrying the ball into contact I think if you're um, playing with Bundyaki carrying the ball, then it shouldn't be your focus if you're a winger. It actually should be the offload. And I think we'll get you know, huge dividends if we do it. But I stand by the, my point that you know I, I think Ireland can get to a higher level if they play with two first receivers. Um, and if they aren't doing that and they are picking Bundyaki, then um, they can never really reach those that you know maybe super elite height. Um, but that doesn't mean that um, I don't think he should be picked at the moment because at the the moment, uh, with the with the uh, with Henshaw missing, I think you know we need him in midfield. Shane, you're a big fan of Chris Farrell as well after the November internationals, and it strikes me that he's one of those guys who, you know, he played uh, the cl- he played the club game actually coming up. Didn't join a big school till I think he was around 17 years of age, um, and has improved and improved. Obviously, went to Grenoble, was under the radar a bit at Munster, but seems the older he gets, not a late bloomer as much, but. The more we see him, the more he's exposed to a higher level, the more he improves. Would you see him as an option? Uh, well, presumably if Ringrose does make it, he's our only option to go in at 13. Yeah, I think he is. You know, you could look at McCluskey, uh, but he's kind of had a weird season. And, uh, you know, he's at 12. But can, can can play at 13 as well. But I think it's probably recognised that uh, he's he, uh, he's better and more influential and more comfortable uh, as a 12, so you're really looking for a 13. Um, I think I was really impressed by the way Farrell stepped up in the um, autumn uh, series, properly impressed, immediately contributed, uh, was very eager to get his hands on the ball, um, and uh, you know that's for, the, for that break, for Stockdale's try, that the ball went to 
to Sexton. Uh, whether it was meant for Sexton or, or Stockdale, I'm not sure. There may, there may have been a bit of confusion there. But more than that, I think we saw enough in, you know, in his distri- distribution and, uh, and sort of soft hands to, to, be, um, to make you feel that he knows what he's doing in that 13 role. And he has the sort of sophisticated type of, of uh, brain that, um, that you know, we like to see in our 13s. You know, the other, you know, with the, the Henshaw injury, I, and it's kind of my little bandwagon, my sort of um, bandwagon, I don't know if it's the right term, but um, I don't think it's going to happen with Ireland. But, um, you know, Joey Carberry, they, you know, are Leinster going to look at him in a different way with no uh, Henshaw at 12, uh, at 12 anymore? Um, that may mean all of a sudden you've got... Uh, somebody else in that mix for centre, and then you do have a proper, um, you know, second five eight. Jerry, just on the performance against Italy, and in ways, he's a good defender f- as well, by the way, Chris Farrell. I thought he yeah. defended very well in that Argentina. That's a key defensive position outside centre, and even Brian O'Driscoll thought he ve- defended very well that day as well. Yeah, so we're, de- we're deliberately important. looking ahead, even yeah. though it's only a Monday, because so he, there's he, only so much to say about, I, <laughs> about I, what happened. I think he one. will start in this game, though. Yeah. Uh, the next one against Wales, even if Farrell. Re- even, yeah, Farrell, even if Ringrose is declared fit by then, okay. because he has Ringrose hasn't played in five or six weeks since his third operation since July. And also, they'll have a two-day camp at that loan this week. Yeah. And I'd imagine Farrell would run with Aki. And you know the way Joe likes to put a big premium in preparations and training, understandably so, so that if you get a, se- a kind of a, a Sexton, Bundy, Aki, Chris Farrell um, training run this week, they train for two days together, I think it's very likely then they train all ne- next week and then they start against Wales. The one point I really want to make about the game or ask mm. you about, uh, I'm supposed to ask the questions, I shouldn't be inserting all my opinions here, Jerry, but just... Mm. Is it somewhat disappointing? We were told before the game that, that it could take a while to soften the Italians up, but that we had a great bench with a load of ball carriers to come on and finish mm. off the job if necessary once we ran the legs off the Italians. None of that materialised. They were gone after 20 minutes. We were 42 nil up at one point, mm-hmm. I think, after about 55 yep. minutes. Yep. So these young players came on with the perfect platform to go on and really finish them off and put the boot in. And the, we ended up winning 56-19. And I know a lot of the focus has been on the tries conceded, but even from an attacking point of view, was it really inevitable that we were going to lose the cohesion in the way that we lost it? Or should we have been a little bit stronger in running in a few more tries towards the end there? And particularly creating more, because one of the tries, a couple of the tries we got in the second half were were giveaways really there were turnovers yeah, yeah. Poor, poor handling by the Italians and they, um, Stockdale and Henshaw's am, am I being churlish am I being a bit overly negative here? Well, I think it's because we have we're used to such high standards from Joe Schmidt Irish teams that when the bench is unloaded that there's a, there's a the cohesion is maintained against opposition who were dead. Yeah, who were absolutely dead. Yeah, and that's what happened. That's yeah. what happened in previous encounters against Italy. You remember Craig Gilroy coming off the bench in Rome, getting a hat trick. I remember uh, nineteen points in the last eleven minutes of the home game in was it two thousand and fourteen, mm-hmm. which was ultimately the difference in winning the title and points difference. So you expected Ireland to go on. I think. They were a little unlucky in that Romaine Poitz stopped a certain try by Rob Carney and if Joey Carby gets that skip pass away after Jordan Larmer's magical footwork then it's a completely different score and we don't have the debate to the same extent. But that being said, and I know the lads weren't very, and particularly Shane, weren't very um, uh, flattering towards the Italians but I do think, they. I always thought they were going to bring one thing to this game ironically enough and that was a good young attacking backline which they've never had before they don't have a scrum anymore they don't have a maul they don't have much in the way of one-off winners apart from Negri because Sergio Parisi isn't the force of yore um, but they've got some really good young backs and I, I think that fullback Matteo Minozzi is going to be a star for them mm. he's there Jordan Larmer and I really like the look of him he's got great footwork picks great lines he did Larmer like a kipper you know for the for, for the try that I think uh, Eduardo Gori finished off um, okay they, there was a defensive um, there was a systematic error for the uh, Tommaso Allen try as well as a 
a mistake by Dan Levy to get beaten on the outside. But um, I think, yeah, you're right. In the terms of the attacking game, they probably would have, you would have liked to have seen more. Um, and it was a bit surprising that they didn't press on like that. I still think, though, that it, in the heel of the hunt, you would have taken a 37-point winning margin to start. Shane? Um, I agree with Jerry, and I think the Italian fullback is, but I don't think he's the one that's only got. He's the only one that has any sort of um, quality in the in the uh, Italian backline. And I think there's a number of players in the Italian backline that aren't at international standard at all. Um, you know, that's you know that's one side of the argument. But the other side of the argument, you know, from, from if we briefly touch on Italy, was I was I was I could not believe how poorly they were uh, structured defensively. Like are the most basic of uh, or the rudimentary of um, of defensive systems wasn't being and standards wasn't weren't employed. You know, um, very very rook focused. A um, lot of honey potting. No. Uh, apprehension of where the ball is or where the ball might be moved to Um, and you know Ireland exploited it really well Um, I think Ireland moved their game on from what they were doing in in France Uh, you know something some weather conditions that you know had a uh, part to play in that but I think their mindset was um, different in, uh, in the you know opening half when they have that mindset as well I think they're much more dangerous and they're much more likely to score tries even against the best teams um, so you, you, I think you were playing they were playing against a side that weren't particularly good it was it was uh, they made some Ireland made some very poor um, defensive decisions in the second half um, not just you know there was the individual errors and missed tackles but um, there was a lot of, of breaking the line, and and similarly um, with their attacking game as well. It all just got a little bit sloppy. Sloppy. It all got a, a little bit loose. It, it seemed like um, they were playing um, with the knowledge that they had that you know that massive buffer zone and, and could take. Um, it's not that they weren't taking risks; they were just being a little bit looser about their play. And Ireland. You know, Joe Smith gets a lot of. Um, uh, the only flack he gets is around uh, maybe being a bit conservative. But I think Ireland are a structured team, and when they play with structure and take the op- the right options off a quite a structured game, I think that's when they're most effective, and that's when they're the easiest break down the opposition. That sort of structure was almost missing for the entire uh, second half. It wasn't helped by the situation, the scoreline, the fact that Italy aren't a threat, and that. Um, the stadium was like a library. Um, there was no atmosphere whatsoever, and I don't blame anyone for the not being an atmosphere. It's just the way that game is now. And I'm sort of thinking about it, about how can that game have an atmosphere? And there's only you know two ways. You know, Ireland have a stinker, and um, Italy are somehow in the you know heel of the hunt. Or secondly, Ireland are on a points chase. Um, you know, on the last game of the season. But other than that, we're going to kind of get generally the fair. That we saw get Brian O'Driscoll to retire. That's the Pardon other way. Me? Get Brian O'Driscoll to retire. That's the other way to go. Oh yeah, bring out the banner. Yeah, bring out the yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, get something. Yeah, get some massive balloons. Or possibly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but those th- those three things aside, I, I stand corrected. <laughs> those three, three things aside, we're going to be in a situation like where we were at the weekend. There was a bit of a postscript to this game, Jerry, and that is that Joe Schmidt didn't give his usual huddle so he did his he, he maybe you can explain exactly what he did do and what he didn't do which he normally does if that's not too convoluted okay <laughs> yeah i'm not sure listeners or readers really care too much about the the media's difficulties and the relationship with the irish management of the rfu but here goes joe schmidt is contractually obliged to do um tv rights holders and radio rights holder uh, broadcast interviews after the game and then a 15 minute press conference to the the general media 
after which he has always traditionally on a Saturday gone up to a side room or whatever else and given a separate briefing to the Irish uh, daily newspapers. In uh, Paris, there was an incident which meant that the uh, daily huddle nearly didn't go ahead um, for a lot of legal reasons. I can't really go into the details of that that case. But anyway, the in the short of it all, we met with um, our RFU um, press officer uh, during the week and in Carton House. And following that meeting, they came back to us on Saturday morning to inform us that the daily huddle would be no more and uh, no reason was given. So for the first time in Joe Schmidt's watch, or indeed, I think, in any of its predecessors in the professional era, we didn't have a daily newspaper briefing after the main press conference. And that's going to be the case? That's going to be the case forevermore, I think. That that, that was the indication. It was a very short email um, to me in my capacity as chairman of the Rugby Writers, and we were informed that there would be no more daily media huddles. Uh, This is part of a general um, cutting down on media obligations or dealings with the media through the course of the week in the Carton House and so forth happened. Um, There's been a reduction in the amount of stuff being made available to us and uh, it's part of our worsening relationship. Right. Is that the case? Because I saw Brendan O'Brien of The Examiner was on off the ball saying that he thinks media relations with the IRFU, between the IRFU and the media, are at their lowest point ever. Um, Would you go along with that? Um, Yeah, probably would. I told him that. (laughs) So yeah, I'd have to go along with it. Why is that the case, do you think? Because I I would have thought team going really well, you know, the province is going pretty well, um, you know, lots of media there to cover it, so surely it's one big happy family. I think, um, as a rule, uh, I think as a rule that Joe Schmidt um, doesn't particularly enjoy dealing with the media too much. Most coaches don't, I suppose. Uh, Warren Gatlin's on record as saying he doesn't. But I think also that... um, if you look at it, this is part of a trend whereby the RFU would see themselves almost as a rival now to the media because of their own um, online uh, coverage, because of their own uh, social media um, content. And so they, if you look at, for example, coach, a coach would have been made available to the media on a Friday at the eve of match press conference, the captain's own press conference. That coach is now only going up doing an interview online for the RFU. He's not being made available to the media. So that would be an example of it. Right. And they said that to us that, you know, they increasingly they see us arrival now. Okay. Did they say, sorry, did yeah. they say that, Jerry? Yeah. Actually, they, they yeah. Have, which, which, is, which is nonsense. And you look at, um, you look at across, you know, England, you look at the, um, the coverage of all the uh, Premier League teams, who all, all, you know, all the big ones have their own, you know, not just online offering, but actually, you know, very have their own TV offering every them, and um, it doesn't mean that um, you know you can eliminate the sort of independent coverage or, or from uh, from the regular media. It's the one thing that um, I think Joe, uh, you know, gets wrong, and you know, you, I don't think he he's not he doesn't get a very critical press, and I think nope. that's because he's a very good, good coach, coach and mm. he's delivered success yeah. for Ireland over a number of years, and and he's made players better, and you know that's he's acknowledges that he gets the kudos for, it. but I do think he can be a little petty around the media, and uh, I think um, it doesn't serve him well. You know, it doesn't serve anyone well to have. Um, a, a sort of fractious relationship, and it doesn't serve you know the public and Irish fans because they don't you know Irish fans and and you know the rugby public and sporting public, they just don't want a sanitised version of of what um, the uh, of reporting that would co- that comes out through um, IRFU own channels. Funny they you want. say that, Shane. Though fun, funny you say that because some of the comments underneath that Brendan O'Brien uh, uh, video clip that I mentioned 
suggests the opposite. It suggests that uh, journalists are just looking for clickbait. They're being too negative about the Ireland team and issues surrounding it. And why shouldn't the uh, uh, sporting organisations themselves control their own media narrative? Well, because, you know, that's not the way, you know, the world works. There has to be, a, you know, there has to be, um, a, a posi- there must be a, um, a position for, you know, a critical media to assess what's going on. Um, and it's important it does that. And I, I don't think it. I don't think it benefits rugby in the in the long run to actually have a, a completely passive um, in-house media. And that's it. And there may be comments under it, but there, you know, that's not not to say that that is the is the wider feeling. And this idea that you know, if anybody is um, you know critiques anything at the moment, then that person must be in some way a hater. You know, I just I can't stand that term. I would almost go so far as I, I hate that term, <laughs> <laughs> if that's not contradictory. Um, but, you know, that, that idea that if it's not 100% positive and rowing in behind the team or the player or the management at all times, then you've got some ulterior motive or by, uh, by uh, bias that must mean that you're, you're trying to, um, you know, undermine someone. Uh, to forward your own um, your own agenda, and I just think it's it's nonsense. You know, as I you know, to reiterate the point, I think Irish rugby gets a you know, you know on the whole gets a really positive run from from everyone um, because we're kind of you know people are fans as well, and and, and they you know generally love this, the the media you know want to see Ireland doing well and and acknowledge that you know we've got you've got loads of things really right in Irish rugby. There's a lot of things. Uh, there's a number of things at the moment that. Now they're coming up and are being questioned, and I think it's really important that that is, you know, continues to happen. And uh, I don't think there's a long-term, di- you know, really positive dividend for either Irish rugby or for you know the Irish sporting public for that to continue. Shane, news has come into us from the IRFU with regards to the injuries we've been talking about, and it is that where am I now? Robbie Henshaw has undergone a procedure this morning on the injured shoulder and has been ruled out of the remainder of the championship. Tyke Furlong underwent a scan that revealed a minor hamstring injury but is expected to be fit for the Wales game, um, which is, we'd heard that he might be out for a number of weeks, but they're saying he might be fit for the Wales game. And Jack Conan banging his shoulder but expected to be available for selection for round three. You encouraged by that news on Tyke Furlong? Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, it's generally vague, isn't it? That's mm. kind of the policy with uh, medical reports. Although that's you know maybe a, le- a little less so to say he's going to come back for Wales. You know, there's a difference between you know wanting him to come back for Wales and and saying that he's aiming towards coming back for Wales and then being available for Wales. So we'll wait um, and see. You're you're not convinced we're going to see him for Wales? No, yet. I'm not convinced because you know you have a, a, an injury, you know, soft uh, muscle injury. Um, for you know a big man uh, who's at a very high, high level of fitness, um, I think two weeks is a push to come back from almost anything. You know, there's not too many injuries that you can come back in two weeks. But let's hope he does because it would be a significant uh, blow for Ireland. Um, not that you know Porter, I was you know really impressed by the way he, he you know, and I, I kind of expected. I think he's a very very good player. He's a very strong character, a very explosive athlete. But he's he, at the moment he just doesn't have this quite the same skill set, and nor should he or could he that uh, the tag furlong has so it's slightly different um you know so, so to potentially have the option of Ty coming back would would be brilliant but i would be almost happy enough if we got him back um for the other games or, or the, the, certainly the last two or even the last one um that would be good um henshaw if he's had a you know a procedure which i assume is some sort of surgery if that's the case then um it won't be just the six nations he's out for you can imagine if he if you know if he's dislocated shoulder had to put it back in that's the season ender and that's that's a big big blow um for lancer too shane 
that wouldn't Leinster more so, Jerry. Yeah. Leinster more so. Um, definitely, I agree with you. I think it changes things in Leinster. Uh, he's been so solid there. He's yeah. worked so hard. There's a you know there's there if they go for someone like um, I don't know how what their makeup you know, of their midfield be now. There's a, a few options that they could go for, but the ones that they've been using um, when when they have missed uh, you know ring rows that have only had one of the centres. You know there's a, there's a, a few they can go with you know Rory O'Loughlin or they can go with uh, Noel Reed. They can go with Ethan Asiwa. Um, and and it's just it's they're just it's never as good as it is with those two. So there's there's a bit of thinking to be done there for Leinster. It's it's pro, it's more impactful uh, for them, um, and you know they'll be they'll be very disappointed. Jerry, based on the Wales England game the weekend, mm-hmm. how confident are you? Firstly, that we're going to reach a Grand Slam decider, and secondly, that we could win a Grand Slam decider against England. Um, yeah. So, so I guess what I'm asking you, first Wales. First Wales. Well, actually, I go the other way around because it looked in the first 20 minutes as, as if England were really going to do a number on them. Two tries up. They, if England were as good as we thought they were going to be, they were surely going to go on and get a bonus point. I think that, that would have been the expectation. I think Wales, it's just remarkable what they achieved really in many ways last Saturday. Um, they're missing, I don't know how many lines. Ken Owens, Sam Warburton, Toby Faletau. Reese Webb, Dan Bigger, uh, Jonathan Davies. Half the day, yeah. It's just incredible that they could roll out and come from 12 nil down. And I was surprised the lads in the studio didn't make more of the uh, the non-try, the try that wasn't awarded. Gareth Anscombe, as Shane Byrne said in comment, that's definitely a try. And it was. And you fly a TMO all the way over from New Zealand and he can't get that right. It's quite extraordinary. I know it might potentially only have made a difference of two points on the scoreboard because they got a three-pointer from in front of the post anyway and there's no guarantee Patchell, the way he was playing, would have landed the conversion from the touchline. Um, but it just tries to change momentum in matches as well. And just thought that was a, for the way they hunt in there, it's just another reminder that this, no Welsh team is ever gone until the final whistle. They're remarkably tenacious teams, and they they will they will have a go from anywhere on the pitch if they're playing catch up, and they can catch you uh, like no other team. They've done it. They've proven it so many years, so many times over the years. I think that they'll come to Dublin though a little bit damaged, not least Patchell himself having been taken off like that, I don't know what they're going to do without half. Um, and it's still fancy Ireland to win that game and get to a Grand Slam decider, but I would still fancy England to be the favourites when that game comes around. Yeah, Shane, no matter what way Wales shake up the number 10 position, you see that as a weakness and one that Ireland could exploit. I'm not sure about that. You know, I, I like Patchell. He didn't have a good, you know, he didn't have a good game, but I like the way he plays and I think he can he can play to a high level and with all the injuries that Jerry spoke about there to all those you know kind of amazing Lions players that that have to have they certainly weakened the the selection from from um, uh, an alternative uh, point of view what the alternatives are um, but with the team that Gatlin has picked and I think he's right to have picked it the way he has I think you're they're better off with Patchell I, I like the way he gets so flat he throws a ball very flat to the line he just he didn't go particularly well against um, at the weekend, I know, and there's concerns around that. But uh, And I know Anskin, you know, he did some, some positive things, but like the last few moments of that game, I thought, uh, or not the moments when they were trying to move the ball up the, up the um, field for the try uh, that would have um, got the victory, I just, I never felt they were going to do it. Um, everything was very, very deep. And as a, as a first receiver, um, no matter how good the backs are outside you, um, if if you allow the opposition to take that space and you stand and deliver, which Amscombe was, then um, I think you're not going to get around the side. You're not going to hold anyone in the inside. So I I would would have sticked with with Pratchell, um, and um, you know it'll be interesting to see what you know Gatlin goes with. But you know 
I'm kind of can be quite hard on Gatland just because I think you know technically and tactically sometimes he's off, but you know he's done a lot right with with the resources that he's had. Um, you know this year and and the selection I think was right last week. I think it was right this week starting off. I thought he was very measured. I said it like yesterday as well. I thought he was very measured in his reaction to the to the try or non-try um, because that was a crucial point in, in the game and it was um, it was a point that could have you know changed the whole dynamic of it. Um, and then they were unlucky as well. That looked like a uh, you know, Scott Williams dive. I thought it was the right thing to do again. Um, I think he could have done it a little bit more about um, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Gareth Edwards style with his arms out. Yeah, might yeah. have gotten there, but uh, it was an absolutely brilliant tackle. And mm. again, you know, Wales were unlucky. That's tough going to Twickenham against that side with that many injuries out and delivering that sort of the performance and, and really being in the game up until the last phase. So you know, you have to do, do have to give them some kudos. They'd be fighting for their lives too because their championship is on the line here in this game and uh, we saw that in Cardiff last year when, that, when they're in that mode they're a very dangerous team and I don't and think Ireland have beat them in the last three Six Nations have they? Yeah and they, that's right Joe has a bad record against yeah. them uh, and they have six championship points I, I agree with you I couldn't believe how resilient they were they looked dead and out of mm. the game they'd had that bit of bad luck with the try how the TMO gets that wrong it's astonishing like, what else can he look at? It's yeah. incredible. You imagine yeah. how high definition his TV is, <laughs> yeah. how many replays he has in front of him to get that wrong, and the whole stadium Anthem's knew hand clearly gets the ball yeah. first, and he clearly puts downward pressure And on the Shane's ball. right, like, as a momentum turner, a try yeah. is completely yeah. different from a penalty. Tries change games. Yeah. 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 Um, ju- just to say, though, about England, did you think that game, and J- Shane has talked about this before, that their, their backline play has stalled since Eddie Jones' first season. Was that game proof, like 12 points up, um, Wales looked dead out of it, that they couldn't put away Wales at that stage. Didn't, that, that, didn't that score ga- for the last hour. Game game has, didn't score a point. Yeah. Their attacking style and attacking game has stalled in the last couple of seasons. Oh, I don't know. I thought they were, again, it was only Italy, but I thought in the first game there was some really nice stuff, you know, f- um, copying the best sincerest form of flattery. That wraparound clearly borrowed from the Johnny Sexton mm. playbook that Ford and Farrell work so well together. I mean, the two tries they did score were classy tries, yeah. really good. I mean, I thought mm. Farrell's vision, he's just one of the Farrell most... Farrell was amazing. He's just one of the best yeah. players in the world right yeah. now, no doubt about it. And his vision for that kick and the accuracy yeah. of that kick for Johnny May. And it was a really good finish by May, who's on fire. He's, they've got real pace out wide, which, yeah, they didn't turn to. I think you have to give a lot of that down to the credit for the Welsh, the way they came back yeah. in and got, had so much of the ball themselves and forced him to defend they, so much. They are reliant on Farrell. He was yes. ama- that was one of his best ever games, yeah. and he's brilliant most of the time anyway. Mm. But they are quite reliant on him. If anything was to happen here, or if you found a way of marking him out of a game I don't know if there is a way to do that but it, it, like his strength could be their weakness in some ways and that everything goes through him now he carries he defends he reads things his passing his communication his personality like he's everything his wrapped defense, up in one player his yeah. vision everything yeah he's, he's it, it's the value as Shane will no doubt say of, of a second playmaker and he's the way he can adapt so easily so readily to playing at 12 we saw that in the Lions tour he was every bit as effective shifting apart from a dodgy first 15 or 20 minutes in the third test he was just so good in, those, in that series as well and worked so well in tandem with Sexton so he can do that 12 or 10 role seamlessly and with equal effectiveness and yeah he just brings another dimension to their play yeah Shane we'll have enough time to talk about Owen Farrell and the build up to Ireland England just last question on Scotland I presume you were pleased that they came through for you 
<laughs> yeah, well, no, they're just doing exactly what they just humiliate me because I'm now in a situation <laughs> where I think, oh, they're going to win the next game and probably blow up. Um, so you never know. I, you know, it wasn't a brilliant performance by. It was a, it was a great game. Very exciting. It was a really, really fun game to watch, especially in the first half. It was, you know, great tries, uh, great individual skills. Um, and and you know some appalling defending, which you kind of can be ha- can be helpful to a good game now and again. Um, it, you know it, it wasn't it didn't hit those heights in the second half. Um, but I think if you were analysing them, I don't think you know the other coaches in the in the Six Nations, aside from maybe Conor O'Shea, would be that worried about um, you know about those two teams. Um, I think you know the, the standard you know, wasn't as high as it could have been from from Scotland. They made you know quite a number of mistakes. They didn't have that many line breaks. You know, for a team that was you know, moving a huge amount of ball um, wide. Um, it was. It was. They weren't doing it as well as as we've seen them. And if you take out um, their their 15, their threat is 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 halved. And if you deal with him, um, then I think you deal with a lot of what Scotland are doing. And that's not an easy thing to do. But uh, you know, for the games for for Ireland's game coming up um, in a few weeks, I think um, you know their focus will be on on stopping him. Right. And they had you know some serious individual errors that uh, allowed a, a you know a pretty poor t- a French team uh, to stay in the game. And from a French perspective, they were much better than they were you know I think for long periods um, last week. You can kind of see maybe they're trying to do something, um, but both in in the defensive structure and their uh, desperation, eagerness to get in the line, they're still miles off. Uh, I think probably any of the other teams apart. Are from Italy, and from an attacking point of view, uh, they haven't got their depth sorted out at all. They're do, they're looking to try and get a second wave. They're looking to use their forwards more as um, interconnectors between forwards and backs, which is all positive for them. But um, you know, a greater macro structure, I just don't see it. And until they get that fi- uh, fixed out, along with the other things, they'll continue to uh, to lose games. I think we've gotten through quite a bit there. Thanks a million, Shane. Thanks, Jerry. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, Mel. See if you don't get this out with Motherwell, you're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so it's off, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. You just need to fucking work, on it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. One last bit here in the IRFU's decision to stop doing those extra huddles for the Daily Journalists. We asked them why they were no longer doing them and the answer we got was reasons for discontinuing the additional access post-match were clearly communicated to RWI Rugby Riders of Ireland during the week all five days per week of media access to team are unaffected so that's uh, that's the last word on that one for the time being the Winter Olympics have been going on in South Korea for the last couple of days poor old Katie Couric on NBC has been getting a bit of stick from the Dutch for these comments Next is the Netherlands. It's probably not a newsflash to tell you the Dutch are really, really good at speed skating. All but five of the 110 medals they've won have been on the speed skating oval. Now, why are they so good, you may be asking yourselves? Because skating is an important mode of transportation in a city like Amsterdam, which sits at sea level. As you all know, it has lots of canals that can freeze in the winter. So. For as long as those canals have existed, the Dutch have skated on them to get from place to place, to race, race each other, and also to have fun. 
Uh, <laughs> well, there are canals. There are a lot of canals in Amsterdam. Yeah. I'm sure they freeze, not all that often. Uh, Certainly not often enough for people to be saying, will I skate or will I take the bike? An important mode of transportation. Do you think yeah. she's gone a bit too, too far out there? I think she may, have, she may have read one thing and then just sallied off. I feel a bit bad for Kate Curie because I think what she's saying is actually kind of true. There is some skating on some frozen... No, in, in the sense in that, you know, if, historically... The Netherlands are good at speed skating in that well, way? Well, that's, <laughs> that, that part is true. But, you know, historically, why did skating develop there? It actually does have to do with those reasons. I mean, she's, she's obviously dropped a bit of a bollock there when she suggests that this is something which continues to this day. <laughs> it's, may, it's more of a little ice age type of uh, an activity, skating on the canals. But, you know, it is, it is a fact that skating kind of was bigger in the Netherlands than in many other countries because uh, they had lots of flat areas of water. Most areas of water are quite flat. <laughs> but they had, had lots of those which would freeze over quite a lot in the colder conditions of days gone by. Mm. So, you know, mm. I mean, it's just... The, you know, it was just a couple of centuries out. I know, and listen, we get messages from listeners in uh, the Netherlands all the time saying that they love listening to us on their skating commute to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we really appreciate those messages, and thank you for getting in touch. You didn't see your man on the luge? Did you do the Polish guy? The Polish guy on the luge? No, I watched the the, the luge final on the highlights mm-hmm. last night. I saw Felix Locke doing a Devon Locke. And, nice. Uh, yeah. yeah well, listen, no favorite. big deal. No didn't, big deal. Didn't quite happen for Felix Locke. No. The German. And I saw some mad celebrations, but they were German no, and Austrian, Austrian yeah, or no. Austrian and American doing the wild celebration. So, what happened to our Polish friend? Our in Polish the friend hopped up there on the top of the um, top of the what is the word that the, they go down? Uh, the run. Of course, the run. <laughs> the top of the run. <laughs> the there. tunnel. Yeah. The tunnel, indeed. The uh, luge course. The luge course. Yeah, he was, was right up there at the top of the course, ready to go. Looked around. Where's my visor? Why is my face on? Oh, yeah, I did see this. Sorry. Why is everything not Oops. hooked in correctly here? Oh, well, I'll just barrel down anyway. Yeah. Off he goes, gets up. The commentator said, think if you put your head out the window driving along a motorway. Mm. That's kind of the speed he's going at with a, with a, a serious wind chill factor there. Or, yeah. going in your eyeballs yeah. as well. Seemed okay, got up. <laughs> you didn't seem that okay. His eyes were streaming like you wouldn't <laughs> believe. Yeah. It was like he'd got a severe allergic reaction to something. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks very much, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank, Thank you, Owen. Thank, Thank you, Ken. We're going to play at both our shows today with a little tribute to the late Liam Miller, the former Man United Celtic and Cork City midfielder who's died aged just 36. Our condolences to all of his family and to his friends. We're going to leave you now with his incredible goal for the Republic of Ireland against Sweden in 2006 from Land's End Road. Here's Miller. Good break this for Ireland. as good as it gets absolutely fantastic play well within his range well within his capabilities he just wanted the stage to show the world what he could do and boy did he he's not going to shoot there is he and when he does absolutely thrilled from that's a great moment for this man first on the scene a couple of years ago has dreamt probably of having chances like this and now in a new era well he's announced that he's ready for it marvellous marvellous strike <laughs> I know you're lonely
was that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 